Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. Very special edition of the Saturday Down South Podcast. It's time for It Just Meant More. We alluded to this last week. The series that we're going to be doing where we look back on these classic SEC games and where we, we re-watch these and, and discuss some of the, the things that you know we noticed then, the way that, you know, for you, obviously, this is going to mean something a little bit different than it does for me. I got and fired just, up yesterday, you're right. You got a little bit, you got into, you tapped into your Bama fandom re-watching this game, I know good. you did. And I'm sure a lot of people will as well listening to this, but the game that we're discussing today is the 2012 SEC Championship with Bama and Georgia, some of the most talent we've ever seen on the field at one time in the SEC, which is saying a lot. I realize that's yeah. saying a lot, but you re-watch re- this game and you realize like, holy cow, there was talent galore. And it this game was the first, I mean, I don't want to say the first, but it was it was a de facto semifinal game before yeah. we had the playoff. At the end, at the tail end of the BCS era, we had this great game with number two versus number three. The winner's going to play Notre Dame. And there was just so much on the line, and it was just everything you would ever want out of, an, out of an SEC championship. Yeah, unless you're a fan of the team that was ranked number two, and you just want to slip into the national championship game. I well, mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, probably that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. I was excited, obviously, going into this game. Um, it did mean a lot to me, as you know. But we talked about this whole series we want to do, and I'm excited for it because, and it's not, it's not only classic games, but it's like the most rewatchable games, like you know, like you were saying, like like a must see movie. Um, so when I was growing up, we, I mean, my dad recorded on VHS tape every single Bama game from 92 to 2003, which I know Not sounds surprised. like a lot, and it, and it is a lot, but like, you know, it wasn't like, we didn't own movies at his house, so it wasn't like I wasn't not watching like Mighty Ducks and stuff, but you know, for the most part, if I was bored, like, I'm going to pop in the Bama Mississippi State game from 92, which I did before. Um, so I'm excited for the series. This game... I did get I did get riled up rewatching it. It was so good. By now, everybody knows the the final result. It's you know spoiler alert. It's don't tell years old. Um, you know, Bama obviously wins this this classic game that just had one of the better second halves you could ever you could really ever remember. I mean, just so back and forth. You really yeah. don't know who's going to win. You have this great drive at the end where it looks like you know maybe Aaron Murray's finally going to have this moment, and ultimately it is still Bama. Bama continues this this dynasty, but. You know, so what we want to do with these with these games because everybody knows the result already. If you want to rewatch them with us and go back in time before, you know, you want to stop yeah. right now and rewatch this entire game and then listen to this podcast. I fully Face encourage me, you to do so. I will so. give you my number if you DM me. <laughs> I feel free. You won't enjoy it, but I'll do it for you. Or if you want to listen to this podcast and then rewatch it after, so you have a little bit more context going in, we yep. recommend doing that. But rewatching this was was a lot of fun. Something that we both did the other day. It took a lot of time doing. Come up with you have six pages of notes on this game. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's the number I told you. But let's, I'm not going to talk about it. It's more or less. Um, I mean, most of it was just like rants about former players that I hated on both sides. I forgot how much I disliked some of these guys. Um, you, you got some some feelings brought back. I, well, yeah, I mean, there was, and here's why. This game, I think, meant more so than any other games, like between Bama and Georgia, like in the recent memory. I, I thought this kind of exposed, like, the difference of the programs and coaches. And, and just growing up in the state, you know, it's not like it is now. I think Bama's won five in a row against Georgia, but they obviously don't play every year. But this is still at the point where Rick was three and one, you know, against Bama. And I had been to, I think, three of those four games, and, and you know, two of them were, like, heartbreaking. Like, lost by two points, lost in overtime, uh, and then 2003 game, which is, like, one of the most miserable games I've ever watched. 
Before we get started here, it's worth noting that you are wearing the same exact shirt that you wore that day, but it, it is without sleeves now compared yeah. to then. I sweated them off. Sweated off the sleeves. Um, yeah, I am wearing the same shirt. Still got it, bro. Yeah, uh, no doubt whatsoever. Uh, that was the least surprising thing when we popped well, on. And I thought it'd be a good idea because it's like, it's like, you know, this whole nostalgia thing and going back in time. And I was like, what if we could go back and like, I remember being at the tailgate and finding pictures or tweets. And then it's, I realized that finding my tweets from that day would probably be a terrible idea. Probably not the best. Probably not the best. But we can save those for another time. Let's paint the picture a little bit because... When you go back and you listen to this game and you listen to the broadcast, you know, Vern is, of course, he's going to bring up the, <laughs> Vern's going to bring up the 1980 national championship, the, the droughts, which, you know, call it what you will. But at that point, it was at, it was at 32 years. And Vern had this great quote early on where he says, you might say this is the Bulldogs' most important game since then. Uh, yeah, I mean, because it's a semifinal game, essentially, with the winner getting to face Notre Dame in the national championship. And so, you know, everybody everybody in the stadium knows what's at stake for, for right. Georgia. Everybody knows kind of what's on the line for Bama, too, and trying to become the first team since 95, Nebraska, to, to repeat national champions. Well, and kind of going, you know, going back a few weeks prior to this, people remember the Manziel game, but they don't remember what happened afterwards. And right. so this is, again, coming off two or three national championships. I will be 100% honest. This is, I have it in my notes, peak Bama fan like obnoxious levels just absolute arrogance there's no one's gonna beat us blah 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 so after the the a&m loss i think they're like on the outside looking in but then you had that crazy night like a few weeks later i was at a wedding that i was late for and i was in it talk about that some other time um and i think like kansas state lost to somebody to baylor and oh with colin klein right yeah and um and stanford uh beat oregon so or the other way around either way so bama sneaks back in and it's like, all right, well, here's the path again. And, you know, then they have to play in this playing game for Notre Dame, which is the, like, it's like you're fighting for a bride that you don't want to marry. That is, <laughs> that, that should not have been the end prize. And I'll, you know what I also for, uh, forgot was Florida was fourth. Yeah, you forget that Florida was that high at that point in the season. Georgia had gotten there by beating Florida earlier on. And, you know, the, the weird thing about this game is that in the tail end of the BCS era, you hear Gary Danielson say at the top of the broadcast, isn't it nice that no opinions are going to matter? Just football decided between the lines the way that it was supposed to be. And it's this, you know, this moment of being frustrated with the BCS system, frustrated yeah. that computers decided. And here we have this great game with two teams on a neutral site where we're really going to see a worthy team get put into that final spot for the national championship. Keep game. in mind, Notre Dame's got the week off. Notre Dame has the week off, obviously. It didn't have to play the conference championship, but had been undefeated to that point. And obviously, this is peak Manti Teo talk. So oh, my God. That was, you know, that, I think this because the story came out about a month after, right? It was like three weeks after, yeah. That three was, weeks after. That, that kid, that was unbelievable. Anyway, we'll keep going. So, this, this we, we want to talk about, uh, we, we're going to break this down to a variety of categories. And this... What we're doing with this series is, you know, these are almost like great movies that you can go back and rewatch. Yeah. Maybe if you're a Georgia fan, it's it's a movie that has a, a painful ending or something like that. Something like A Star is Born. Spoiler alert there. Oh, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about the A-listers because we had very different impressions of who the A-listers were on this cast of, of stars. It's this star-studded game. Your list of A-listers is extremely well, long. I So Connor did it from... A, like a more concise point of view, I think. Um, Good word, concise, yeah. I'll, I'll let you start, because what I was, all I was trying to do was add in, like, there were so many people that I think 
were huge, huge impacts like in their programs. Because this at this point, Georgia had, I mean, I remember the 2008 team, obviously, with A.J. Green and Noshawn and Matt Stafford and all these big-time recruits. You, I mean, this was, up until this point, maybe the most, like, recruiting talent, not developed talent, that, that uh, Rick had on a team. Seven guys from this defense got drafted the following draft. Nine I mean, off the starting 11 were drafted, like, played in the NFL. That's absurd. Nine of 11. So one of those guys, one of the household names at this point was Jarvis Jones. Probably came in as the most highly touted guy on that defense coming into this yeah. game just because of the year that he was having. Um, Todd Gurley, of course, who was only a freshman at this time, but yeah. quickly, you know, they, they realized early on, like, you, you go back and you watch this game, and they even said at the top of the broadcast, they're like, oh, Gurley's going to share the backfield with Keith Marshall. No, he's oh, not. Oh, wait, no, actually, he's not at all, yeah, I mean, and that's not I mean, going to be the case. And he, he when, I, when I put all these extra names there for the A-listers, I talk about, like, it's almost these guys that have this this lore or legend about them while they were there. Like I mean, Jones comes in, not only does he put up that ridiculous number as like defensive player of the year, I think, that year, but he also comes in and has he caused the fumble against Florida to, you know, seal the victory like late in that game. And like I mean, stuff like that when you're when you're a rival that you don't really beat as much, especially at that time, and you he does something like that in that game. That's what I mean as like an A-lister. Like Barrett Jones <laughs> starting at his third damn position. I'm not saying they were great pros. It just they were A-listers then. Yes, A-listers then. That is the yeah. how we're going to define this. And then Aaron Murray, of course. And Murray to me is is probably the most interesting storyline. Murray and yeah. Rick, who Murray almost became this microcosm of Rick. And you know he comes in as the most efficient passer in the country. And they throw out the stat up there about one in four against top ten teams. Oh, but. In that game against Florida that they won, he had three picks in the first half. So it's still this thing that's yeah. like looming over. And, you know, Gary Danielson had this quote where he says, Aaron Murray, he's had the disappointments, he's had some great stats, but he needs one big win to cement his career. And he said that when UGA was down in the fourth quarter. And it was like, is he going to have this big, like, this that. iconic moment in college yeah. football? And it painted the scene so well because that was what a lot of the pressure was on him. Even though last year in the SEC Championship, it wasn't necessarily Aaron Murray's fault that they, you know, were up 10-0 and then just got roasted against LSU. They had a ton of drops in that oh, game, well, as they showed on the broadcast. He didn't play particularly well, but he had some help in losing that game. Yeah, they got outscored by Tyron Matthews. So, I mean, that like that game is different. I think this this whole we look back at Aaron Murray, and I think the narrative of even even for some Georgia fans is like, yeah, he was a, he was a a good college quarterback, and we don't think that he's great, despite being the all-time leading passer in SC history, despite, yep. like you said, being the most efficient. I mean, I remember in this season, I never thought he was that great because, it, like, of what he did against top 10 or top 25, top 10 teams. I mean, he got they got boat raced against South Carolina, and I couldn't really get over that. But, I mean, when you look back at it, like, building his legacy, we'll talk about this more towards the end, building his legacy, what a win like this can do for you, like, it propels it to, you know, like, legendary status. Like, look at A.J., and how exactly. average he looked in this game, but we all think like, man, one of the greatest college quarterbacks maybe ever because this record. And you know, look, he, he was outplayed in this game. He, yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say that. And the crazy thing is that Murray definitely outplayed McCarron in this game, but yeah. McCarron makes the clutch throw at the end to Amari Cooper, where Amari just runs this beautiful route, and it's you know, it, it's this like you forget to that point for the first three quarters of the game, Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon completely carried Bama, and then McCarron oh, yeah. comes up with this clutch throw. Without a doubt. I mean, and, and also, you know, kind of like peeling it back like even more, they beat LSU, and in the second half, like, like early in the season, in the second half he was one of eight before the final drive. Like this wasn't the first time he had just kind of not shown up. 
Um, but, you know, now that we look back at history, he's the champion, so we just assume that he's the greater quarterback, and it was not the case this day. Yeah, McCarron, you know, the Bama A-listers, they're obvious. I mean, McCarron, as we talked about, he was 26-2 and as a starter to that point. Uh, Eddie Lacy was, was still an A-lister. He was on his way to a first-team All-SEC season. And then Barrett Jones, obviously, is the, you know, the guy who well, was just the anchor of that line. Yeah, and they, I mean, that whole offensive line was supposed to be, like, one of the best in SEC history, and they had, like... DJ Fluker and Chance Chance Wormack was called like the best guard in college football in the past twenty five years, and he was he was not. Um, just a lot of big names, but even like for, for Georgia, you talk about like guys like Brandon Smith and a bunch of five stars like him, and and uh, John Jenkins was a huge recruit, like that massive number six on the T line. He was huge. He was so good too. And you have Ogletree and, and a lot of these guys. And when I say like the most talent, that's what I mean because they had so many five stars on this team. And Amari too. Amari. Oh the, yeah. How it was we- fun to watch Amari and Gurley because this is before, and and Danielson brought this up too about how it's it's cool to see these these freshmen having these big time moments. And TJ yeah. Yeldon obviously had a had an incredible game as well. But like this was kind of before it was really really popular where you would see these true freshmen coming in and having big time impacts, especially at places that have so much talent like right. Georgia and Bama. To see them shine like that really kind of spoke to just how good those guys were early on. Well, yeah, and to also see them, especially the position they played, to be better than not just the opposition, but, like, they were just so much above the game plan from the opposite coach. Like, I mean, you couldn't stop them. Gurley could – Gurley was special, like, from the day he stepped on campus. I think he ran a, a kickoff return for a touchdown his first game back, had over 100 yards, all that kind of stuff. But, like, I had never seen a Bama defense just get shredded by a running back like that. It just didn't happen. Because he, he, he had over 100 in this game, and Bama had the streak of what, like – how many straight games was it without allowing a 100-yard rusher? I mean, it, it was, was like a bunch. three seasons worth it, that, or something? At that point, it was like a very big deal if it happened. Like, it only happened once or twice since 2007, I want to say, under Saban. And, yeah, I told you when we first brought this up, the first thing I texted you, I was like, oh, yeah, Gurley was 23 carries for 122 yards. Yeah. But it was it was the fact that, like, when I say, like, they're just better than the game plan, they beat your game plan, they always just seemed like they were a step ahead. They just were gliding through, and they were always faster, stronger than every other player on the field. The directors. Mark Rick, Nick Saban. So many great shots of them in this game that kind of define who they are as coaches, as people, all that stuff. And as you brought up before, you know, Rick is 3-1 and one against Bama, but, you know, 2008, like, he didn't get that win against Saban's Bama. And, you know, he's playing in his fifth SEC championship, so it's not like he's... That's... Which is crazy because I think we kind of forget that a little bit. That's a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. half a decade's worth of SEC championships. Even Saban, it took him a while to get to five SEC championships because he wasn't there in 2011. Well, this game, they hadn't been there since 2009. Gosh, that's crazy. You know what I mean? That's like, think about the talent they had. And, like, they had won the national championship the year before, didn't play in the game, which I know a lot of people right, were right. not happy about. Um, yeah, I mean, that this I, I forgot that he'd been there at five. And, and for the most part, he'd won 2002, 2005. He didn't make it 2007, but that was, like, arguably his best team. You could see moments in this game, too, where the mild-mannered Mark Richt was realizing what was on the line for That's him. That's such and, a good point. And there were a lot of points in this game where, um, you know, we're going to get to the, the Quentin Dial hit later. I think yeah. that was one of them where he was pretty irate and, you know, understandably so. And then even, you know, before because before that happened, I think he there was He said heck, the, dude. Did you see that? He did. He did. He said bullcrap uh, no like two or three times. Yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah, I, I never seen that emotion, it. like that much emotion out of him. And I think to the point you made, and I, I want to give you props. I said it off air. I was very impressed, very proud of you for for how 
I don't want to say that you were right because it's just agreeing with me, but I, <laughs> I, I think you're right. Like, and I, I think looking back on it, you never saw that kind of emotion out of Rick. Even after like the U, the Florida game, 2007, when the whole team runs on the field, and he does that awkward like, you know, getting the crowd pumped up. But it's just straight face the whole time yeah. doing and, it. And yeah, and he was so animated several times throughout this game. And you talk about the press conference afterwards. I think I think he kind of felt and knew like this was his best shot. Yep. And this and, and you know I don't know how much more there was going to be, and and obviously that ended up being the case. Saban in this game and just the entire coaching staff, the Kirby. crimson shirts with the white collars. You were nothing really big def- on that. <laughs> nothing <laughs> defines. No, seriously. If you go back and look, nothing defines the early 2010s more than. It, it dates Bama a lot. Whenever I see Saban wearing that exact polo, I know that it's pre-playoff era. Right. And that it's from that the early part of that decade. And I couldn't stop looking at those shirts. I'm like, why did they get rid of those? I kind of like those. I don't know. He just looks so young and vibrant and happy. <laughs> so the fan base sucked the life out of him. It's like the presidency. You know, it I, takes, a, takes some years off your life. No, but like, you talk about the directors, like, real quick. And I think you did say, like, Saban didn't seem invincible yet. I think, again, looking back on it, in the moment, yeah, I was like, this is a no-brainer. I, I remember, like, the 2008 game, I remember saying to somebody, like, the reason why I like Saban over Rick, Rick's a great guy, he's super nice, but I know every single fall they have, instead of one of their practices, they surprise the team by going to, like, have a pool day and, like, jump off a high dive. I know when that's happening, my team's probably game planning and practicing. Also, on Sundays, <laughs> I'm not judging you. It's great that he's, like, a very strong Christian man. I'm just saying Saban's probably not in church. He's probably watching game tape. And so it's, it seemed like there was this big difference. Like, they are obviously different in personality and coaching style. But I didn't give enough credit to, to Rick, I think, because he was – those three and one, like, those wins were, were big. And the five, five SEC championship games, Jesus. Why Mark Rick's faith is ruining his status as a coach. <laughs> My column. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was, that was something I picked up on, too, that I think re-watching it, you would – you would notice this more than if you were, you know, looking back, obviously we know the res- the final result of this and we know just how invincible Saban really was during yeah. that stretch. And, you know, that continued later on. But even in year six with those two titles already, maybe it was because they were three weeks removed from losing to a redshirt freshman and Johnny Manziel. Okay, maybe so there like was that. he won the Heisman that year, but... Right, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously, there's, there's something to be said for that, but it, it didn't feel, you didn't go into this game thinking okay, Bama is just this dominant force and it's going to take this unbelievable effort from Georgia. And maybe part of I that, did. obviously, is, this, is the, the talent that we, had, that we saw on Georgia's, side of, on Georgia's side where we said, okay, these guys actually stack up well. But at the same time, Bama was a very slight favorite in this game. It wasn't like they were a touchdown favorite or something like that. So I, will, I, I did not have that thought process going in. I thought we were going to dominate them. I was not worried about Georgia at all. I did not take them seriously. Because, again, when I'd seen them in big-time moments, they, they got... Not they didn't just lose. When's like thirty-five to seven at South Carolina, and they'd only played I think uh, two ranked teams like the whole year. They didn't look great for most of the year. I, I did not take them very seriously. And and to be fair, I had this whole you know idea that Bama was just at this unstoppable force. They were the the greatest dynasty ever. That team was so much worse than the two thousand eleven team. Looking back at it, like on defense especially, and I, I feel like going into it, I didn't give near enough credit to what Georgia was able to do. Yeah, one of the things they didn't talk about was they didn't have that big. They didn't have that dude who was just a pass rusher who was going to get after the quarterback. You know, Bama. it was going to be more of a team effort. Yeah, Bama didn't yeah. have that guy. There wasn't the Marcel Darius, that type of person in the Secondary. middle of the defense. 
and the secondary might have had a couple issues here and there, but you know, which is atypical for for a Saban coach unit. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, it's kind of strange that we really didn't know just how good this Bama dynasty was going to be at that point. This was a bit of a crossroads for that. And, yeah. you know, obviously you stole the two titles in the last three years, which, you know, that, that accomplishment is something that very, very few programs could say in the history of college football. But, you know, at the same time, you're kind of looking at this like, how good is this team going to be? Can they reach an even higher ceiling at this point? Right. And I think the narrative had already been kind of built and maybe unfairly, you know, like the Georgia, even if they have the talent, maybe they don't they don't win the big game. But trying to be objective and fair about that, Bama has the or and Saban had like the fortune of the year before not making it to this championship game. And they were the they were the best team in the country that year and still winning the national championship. You look at Rick's two thousand seven, they had those two early losses. He doesn't get into the SC championship game. There's no doubt in my mind that they, they probably would have won the national championship in two thousand seven if they got in. So there's just so many small things that happen over the course of time that like could change so many big picture things and and i think especially at the time and i was being a huge homer and a fan that day i i was full-on biased like there's no there's no stopping ban on this game did you get into the stadium that day or what was that situation because you uh so yeah i was tailgating with a bunch of my georgia friends outside the stadium this this is the first time i've been back to this sc championship game since i sold my car to go 2009 great story and i was like i'm not gonna go i'm trying to be responsible i'm just gonna go enjoy the game somewhere at home not around people then I kept drinking uh, at the tailgate and decided to pull out like $600 in cash in downtown Atlanta, which was a great, great move. At like a gas station, like right, right behind the Georgia Dome. Um, which, do you have any idea how long the process of taking $600 out at a gas station ATM Yeah, is? I was going to say, you can't do that in ATM. Yeah, somebody just robbed me right now. <laughs> like, I'm going to get a six-pack of Bud Light, and I'm going to pull out about $8,000. Um, and I remember going, like, walking towards the stadium, and like I was like, I'm going to buy a ticket. And... I think it was like around 500 for like upper deck. I was like, you know what? Maybe not, Chris. Maybe just carry this large wad of cash home with you. So you went home and watched the game responsibly by yourself. Yeah. I, well, no, I watched it with a bunch of friends um, at my buddy's house. But but I, I didn't do a good job of preparing because I got so into the tailgate and I thought I was going to go into the game that we got in that awkward limbo where it was too late to like go. I didn't want to go to a bar. It was too late to like, we missed like the first drive. I had to listen on the radio. And then we were like, at my, I wasn't in my comfort zone is what I'm saying. I like, oh, to be, gotcha. I like to be away from everybody, and I was like in a crowd of people. It was very uncomfortable. Which, which explains why Bama got off to a very, very slow start in this game. And that's the weird thing, too, is if you just watch the first half of this game, Ooh. not a classic. It, it had more shades of 2011 Bama LSU, and then the second half just followed a totally different tone where it's just back and forth, lead changes, yeah. big-time plays here and there, and it's just like that's when it turned into a classic game because I think if, if it had followed the first half script – for the rest of the way, oh my college God. football fans would have been so upset. <laughs> you, would have been coming off of what uproar. happened in 2011, yep, that would have been awful. That would have been awful. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, we we have one of the topics in here. We we'll get more get into it more later. But it was about uh, what's the biggest thing you forgot about rewatching this game? The first half. First half was bad. It was, it was bad, and, and it was 10-7 at the half. And Bama, they had to score. What was it? They, they scored with like less than two minutes to go. To tie it up and then kick the field goal at the end of the first half, it was yeah, seven was, nothing for like huge. for twenty eight minutes. Yeah, so let's let's continue on with the cast here because this this is the one that we have the toughest the toughest time figuring out. 
the breakout performers. And the example that I used for this was like 2010, Bama, South Carolina, where yeah. Alshon Jeffrey just has that unbelievable game. That's and Perry Danielson had said, thing. yeah, that, that was kind of what we were following. But we realized there really wasn't that guy for this game because everybody who Thank was God. really good had already been good. So the, the one that I came up with was TJ Yeldon just because – Yeldon, yes, as you mentioned, five-star true freshman, had the big debut. But what he did in this game with 150 rushing yards, which at that point was his career high, and then late in this game with four minutes left, Bama turned to him instead of Eddie Lacy. And part of that might have been because Lacy was banged up. But Yeldon was really, really good. With the with four minutes left, he had that run where it's third and five. And it's 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 a huge, huge no, moment this, in this game. Oh, hold Georgia's, on. Don't just – oh, man, this is the best play of the game. Love it. Go on. This is this is like peak Bama being who they were in this 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 era. This this like this offensive identity just kind of we're gonna beat you at the line of scrimmage. We don't care what it takes. Yeah. Third and five with four minutes left, and Bama's down three, and they decide you know what we're gonna hand it off to a true freshman tailback, and he just T.J. Yeldon just runs right through Sean Williams and lands forward and picks up the first down, extends Dragged the drive. Him. Just an unbelievable moment in that game to make that call and to put the trust in TJ Yeldon to come up with that first down. Well, and, and we're going to get much, much more in-depth with that play and why it was so important. And I, I think the biggest, like, it, it was the most symbolic representation of where each program was at and who each team truly was in this game. We'll talk more about it later because Sean Williams had a bunch of stuff uh, earlier in the year about the whole, like, you know, we can't play soft. And and. and after he had called out this defense, we'll, we'll get into it later. Yeldon, no, let's get into it right now because that's okay, a good so point. This is, this is not my breakout performer, but this is the most important play of the game. And this is why going into this game, you know, like I said, I didn't take UGA as seriously. And, and there was a point, like, I, I always viewed UGA as, like, a lot of talk. And, and, you know, like, not trying to be harsh to UGA fans, but it seems like, you know, every August, like, this is our year. This is our year. And they don't always back that up. And, and I remember Sean Williams had this quote after the Kentucky game. They get killed by South Carolina. They barely beat Kentucky. And he calls out the defense. He's like, you know, we, we, you know, we can't be soft. And he called the defense soft. And, like, the whole, you know, team, like, kind of rallied around it. All the fans did. And ever since that moment, they had the number one scoring defense in the country. Like, before that, he, before that game, they were giving up, like, 25 points a game. After that, it was eight. They had the number That's one defense in the country yeah. from October 25th on. They were giving up less than 300 yards a game, which was 75, like, less than before. Um, and they had 15 turnovers uh, in like the last in the final five games. They were they were dominant after he'd called out this team. But it was this whole bravado of like, you know, they'd done it in, earlier in the season with the grown man football thing at Mizzou, which I didn't like because Mizzou had six offensive linemen off that game. It just seemed like it was a facade of of them like they were beating up on weaker opponents. Well, and no, then it, they're just finally... that, it's like them beating the, their chest. Like you know, like it's like people say to me all the time, like you look strong. I'm not. I'm just I'm just big. Like like. That's it, it was a false impression they were giving off. Whereas on the other hand, it's like that's how Bama was built out of this like toughness and being, you know, more mentally tough, more physically tough than any other team in the SEC or country. And Sean Williams doing that, and, and he talked a lot of trash during games. Him and Bakari Rambo both, and Bakari Rambo was was a good player for Georgia. All time name. All time. All time. Yeah, name. the perfect name ever for and maybe that's why I got so offended by his play in this game. But when you're like the, the key voice to call out people for being soft and you're getting, I mean, this happened all game, missed tackles, refusing. Bakari Rambo, at one point, Gary Danielson said, 
he almost looked like he he gave, like he didn't want it. Like he was on that long lacy run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so and, and that's that that's when the whole part of the game changed for me. But this play I thought just summed up who both teams really were because the drive before it's third and six and and they attempted a pass. It was like this what of six in the second half. AJ was not on not on point. Um, so the next drive, it's third and five, similar down in distance. They had not converted a third down between four and seven yards the entire game out of like I think like six attempts. And they ran a true freshman off right tackle. Like, just right at your defense. Right at, right at Jarvis Jones. And Sean Williams makes contact with him a yard past the line of scrimmage. And Yeldon is able, as a true freshman, is able to drag him across the first down marker. And then the next play is the bomb to Amari Cooper. There's no, there's no better way to sum up. Like, don't talk about it. Just be about it. And that's that's the thing, too, that I think we just we came to expect from 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 Bama. It was, they did this better than anybody in the country where it didn't matter. Saban wasn't worried about scheming. That was before Lane Kiffin came along and he didn't have to come up with these crazy ways to run this, you know, this up-tempo, spread it out offense. And that was when Bama was truly at its, we're going to punch you in the mouth and we don't care if you know exactly what's coming. I'll stick a true freshman back there. I don't care. And I'll put my best under your best. And we feel like we're going to win every single time. And that, that instance right there was such a key point in that game to show that. And, you, and again, I'm not discrediting how good this defense was. Like they, they not only with the names, I just told you all of the stats they had put up for the second half of the season. Like they were, they were a good defense. But when you are supposed to be that dominant defense, and you're walking in with the swag and you're like you know, bo- like you know, bowing up, bowed your chest out, and all that kind of stuff, and you give up, you not just get beat, you give up over 500 yards of total offense and 352 yards rushing. 352 yards rushing. SEC championship a, record at that point, yeah. Yeah, there was a stat that said Saban was 48-0 when his team rushed for 150 yards or more. They had 152 in the first half, and which is impressive. But like what they were able to do in the second half, which was just there was no question what the game plan was. It was like we're going to hand the ball off. That's all we're going to do into like the teeth of your defense, which again has nine players that are going to be drafted off this off the starting eleven. You went in a different direction for your other breakout star, but pretty much in this, I guess, in a very similar. You, you you view this in a very similar way that I did. You had Eddie Lacy as your other breakout star for this game. And you, you explained it, because I look at that on the surface, I'm like, well, he's an all-SEC player. Right. This was right before he went to the draft. So it's not so much a, a breakout game as much as it is like a here, here I am having my best moment on a national stage type game. Yeah, so uh, the reason I think, I think we have, like, you know, looking back on it at the time, like, it, you look back at it now and it's like, yeah, he's an all-SEC player. He you know, did pretty well his first two seasons, I guess, in the NFL. Like, we know what kind of back he was. He was special because he had this game and what he did in the National Championship game. But before this game, he didn't have any huge stats. You know, obviously played behind Trent, obviously played behind Ingram. But you're coming off of Ingram winning the first ever Heisman in school history, and then Trent, who we all thought was, like, the best running back ever, uh, like, to come through Bama. No one, I don't think, is a Bama fan. It w- it's not that we didn't think he was good. It just, he wasn't that elite Bama back that we were used to. And then you have a guy like Yeldon coming in as like his highly talented five-star, goes off for 100 yards in his first game. I mean, Lacey didn't have a lot of huge games before this. And this, the reason I think it's a breakout star is because he was the MVP of this game with 20 carries and 181 yards. And then he was the MVP of the national championship game. And that's what really, I think, boosted his career and kind of like solidified his career uh, and like made it as, as memorable. Because before that, I don't think he was really given as much credit as maybe he deserved. I think this this is going to be a weird take. This is like the uh, white collar um, on the crimson polo take, but 
His number is 42. How many great running backs with numbers in the 40s can, can you think of off the top of your head that just, like, look that way? Yeah, <laughs> just, just the Jackie Robinson. I thought we were tired 42. But that was one of the things I noticed watching him, and I'm like, and, and everybody kind of had this gasp when he would have the burst through the line of scrimmage. Like, a guy that big should not be moving that quickly. And it would just surprise people about how how quickly he was able to accelerate with that kind of power. And I know that Lacey move, kind man. of... Oh, the, it wasn't even on display in this game. I, but he, he had this agility, though, where he could do things in, in the open field, and he ran downhill so well, where I think a lot of people have lumped Eddie Lacy into this guy who, you know, he had weight issues when he got to, when he got to the NFL, and he didn't necessarily live up to this potential. Who doesn't, Connor? But I think people view, people almost put this Bama bust label on him. But yeah. to, to, to see why we viewed Eddie Lacy in such a high regard, it wasn't just that he was playing behind a really good offensive line. No, Some well, of the yeah. stuff that he did in the open field was just ridiculous. No, completely agree. And, and I, I just don't think before, you also have to keep in mind that like this, that running back group, throw out Kenyon Drake, who was a freshman. They had two five stars that were like top 15 players, like the number one all-purpose back. I think two years uh, in a row with Brent Calloway and D. Hart, who never amounted anything. They never even finished their career at Bama. But no one really thought that Lacey was going to really be the guy. Like, he had he had some good numbers because he was like, you know, he was behind a, a good offensive line. But, like, I mean, good numbers as, like, a, like a backup role. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Yeldon honestly had the more – he benefited way more from this offensive line than Lacey did because Yeldon had his best season at Bama as a freshman. Right, which he gets into the situation where, you know, he he has to be, share the backfield with Derrick Henry, too. And, you know, it's it's tough. It's, it's tough for T.J. Yeldon to be a five-star recruit who has this yeah. great freshman season where you get over 1,000 yards, you get the true freshman rucky, rushing record, and then it's like, oh, yeah, but you're still going to share this, and you're never going to be the 250-carry, 300-carry type guy that, right. that ultimately Derrick Henry gets to be. Um, pr- the prominent extras in this. I forgot Prominent extras... We, we define this as a guy who was on the sideline, who like didn't play in this game or played very little in this game, who went on to become you know a star, a stud. But you wouldn't know by watching this game that this person was even there. And Georgia and Bama are great because obviously we've talked about the depth and the depth chart having all these five-star guys. And there, there were a few that you could point to, but the guy that I, that I brought up was Landon Collins just because... I, I forgot he was even on that team. Exactly. And I got mad when you put it in there. I had to go double check. I was like, he wasn't even on this team, Connor. He was a true freshman on this team, but yeah. when you're you have a secondary that's got D. Milner, haha, Clinton Dix, like your your playing time is going to be pretty limited. And he was just basically on special teams as a true freshman, which is crazy to think about with the career that he had. And there have been great freshman defensive backs at Bama, of course, but having somebody like Landon Collins, who's just not even a factor in a game like this, just shows you the talent that was on the field that day. I doesn't because I don't understand why he wasn't. I feel like we could have used him. I feel like we definitely could have used him. He I, actually, so I saw that he went back and he said, like, I needed to sit as a freshman. Like, Kirby sat me down and basically said, you're going to look lost. You're going to be kind of all over the place. And this is why I'm going to sit you down as talented as you are. Yeah. And he said that actually benefited him a lot. So take that for what it is. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it, it just, and again, like the drop off from that 2011 defense to this 2012 defense. And, and they led the country like for the, like, you know, at the end of the season, in, I think, scoring defense. I don't know about total defense, but, God, they were not as good. Yeah, it was a little bit of a little bit of a different type of feel for that Bama defense. Um, did you have any that you wanted to, to add here? We <laughs> no, I took him out. On Kenny Drake. <laughs> I took him out. I mean, okay. I just, it, I, I still am, like, blown away because I, I had, like, 17 tabs up 
like looking through this game last night because I just <laughs> I forgot. Like I mean, Gurley was a true freshman, and and like Keith Marshall was the higher rated back coming out. They had just gotten Isaiah Crowell like the year or two prior to that. But he was hurt for this game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, he wasn't the better back. I don't know how much he would have played. Yeah. So, that's but it's it's point. just crazy how much how much talent they had and like, um, I, like this the amount of like five star offensive linemen in this game with with uh, John Theus who's a huge recruit and and DJ Fluker who's just the ma- like he's just a massive human being. Before we get to the story arc of this game, how this game played out, a lot of the emotions that you had, let's take a quick break to talk about our Facebook group. If you are listening to this, you should definitely already be a member of our Facebook group. The SDS Podcast on Facebook. It is a private group, so you can request access. Marler lets you in. What are the type of things that you're going to get if you join a Facebook group? Well, you're going to see like pictures of Marler from 2012 watching this game where he's at the tailgate. And he looks super nervous, but he's probably a bit buzzed watching it. But that's okay. You can get all sort of discussion. We have a lot of fun with this Facebook group. Marler has done a really good job organizing it and kind of facilitating some interesting questions. So if you want a new place to talk about college football, you want something a little bit more social, interactive with us, make sure that you join our Facebook group. That's the Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. Search it, request access. We will let you in and let's have some fun. Let's talk about the story that really was this game. There are a lot of different things that we're going to get into. Um, But the first thing, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. Just in all of these, it just meant more. The favorite line from the broadcast. You know with Gary and Vern, there are are some good ones. There are some gems. My goodness. I, I, man, I, I miss Vern so, I so much. I mean, that turtle laugh, man. It's, it's unbelievable. Some of his just audible gasp are, are so perfect. Um, this was a great Vern moment. I don't know if you picked up on this. So, this was in the first quarter after Georgia executes that perfect fake punt. They did a fake punt. Yeah, they did a fake. Both teams were doing fakes. It was yeah. crazy. That, I mean, were... but that's like the, almost the same play they ran this past year. That was like, it was awesome. It worked. But, it, but it worked. But in, they, they didn't try and have. Um, their quarterback run on fourth and eleven. It was a little bit different. I mean, I, w- I wasn't trying to throw him under the bus. I just I thought it was cool. I was like, oh yeah, what do you know? Another game with a fake punt. Nostalgia. Um, so during the so they're coming off the commercial break after they had run this, and you know Gary gets into this like great breakdown of how Georgia recognized that this Bama player. Uh, or this Georgia player like wasn't eligible, but Bama thought he was, and that was what allowed them to get this perfect read to want to audible into this fake punt at what looked like a key moment of this game early on. And so, you know, he, he just finishes this breakdown that, that lasts like a minute, which is kind of a right. long time coming off a commercial break. And then Vern goes, and let's take another look at the play from the Avis, and then he pauses. <laughs> And then Gary interrupts him and goes, that was the Avis cam. And, and then Vern just goes, we're, we're here to help each other. And That's beautiful. It was, like, it was such a perfect moment yeah. between those two that just everything you could ever think about Vern was just described in that one sequence. It, it reminded me of like a couple and they're like, like someone's like ignoring the other one and just be like, oh yeah, totally. Like, Did you hear anything I just said? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. That's crazy. Uh, that was not my favorite quote, but that was good. That was good. See, I, I like that you did this for this one and for the uh, South Carolina one. That was like a good Vern quote. Like people give Gary Danielson a lot of a lot of crap. I I love. This. I think he's I think he's good at what he does. I, I really do too. I think he's I think he's smart. and I think he recognizes things that I would never be able to pick up on during a game. Yeah. Like the oh that receiver they thought was covered and right. he wasn't, and that's why they audible them. I I would never look at that play. I would just I, be like, yeah, they they felt the need to take a risk at that point, right. and they got lucky. I don't like <laughs> that way he says all. unbalanced. 
on balance line. Oh, he says yeah. it a lot, but other than that, I like him a lot. Um, my favorite quote was Vernon Gary brought this up, uh, I think in like the start of the fourth quarter, and they had an interview with Saban. He said, "Whoever runs the ball best will win this game." And Saban said that at the start of the uh, of the third quarter, which was like you know pretty prophetic. Um, I'm about to have a heart attack here. Also in the post game interview. Yeah, Saban. Yeah, Saban was, uh, was good. Which that's saying a lot coming from him. Yeah. Along the same lines of the um, the Saban quote of whoever runs the ball best will win the game. The coldest take from oh, the broadcast. Man. These are these are fun. Um, I, I have I have looked really really closely. Like this might have been the thing that I actually paid the most attention to. I was yeah. waiting for the one thing that was just going to be like, okay, this looked this is horribly. <laughs> yeah, just to tell you, no, you're wrong. I know what happens. I've seen the future. Um, so Gary, when UGA is up 7-0 early in the second quarter, this was his quote. Biggest storyline of the game so far, Alabama's offensive line has not been the difference. Well, at the time they were, but yeah, that did not age well. Uh, yeah, that did not age well after Bama set the SEC championship rushing record 350 on the ground. Yeah, I, probably probably should have waited a little bit. It, it just seemed a little bit premature at that point to be yeah. like, oh, Bama's just getting, you know, they're not dominating the line of scrimmage, and this is bad. And like, okay, let's and give I it think, a little bit of time. I think we had come like, accustomed to assuming that that offensive line, again, was going to be just pushing anyone around. John Jenkins was so big. That so guy big. was even for a nose tackle. You look at him. He even next to the, next to Barrett Jones. You're like, oh my gosh, Barrett yeah. Jones is like an is an infant compared to this guy. Uh, Barrett Jones played really well against him. DJ Fluker did not. They they there were a lot of different moments in that game where they would point out whenever Barrett Jones would struggle, which I think that's part of being a household name. But whenever he got beat at the line of scrimmage, it seemed like they they would point that out on the broadcast and be like, "Look at Barrett Jones not being able to handle Jenkins here," or like you yeah. know whatever it was. It was like, "All right, let's dude's an All American. He can have a couple Three, plays yeah. here and there where he's not you know performing." But he, at his he's also best. like a perfect example of like that one college guy that we we give way too much love to. Like, because he's like a 4.0 student, and he plays all these different positions, and it's like he's a great guy, and he's got a comb over. Where's Cat? Pushes AJ McCarron in the national. That was awesome, but it was like one of those things too, where you're like, oh, maybe he's not that great. Like he's he's not going to be a, a NFL player for the next 15 years. Another great cold take. <sighs> Thank you for doing this. This so Tim Brando cuts in. Tim Brando was doing you know the updates, you know during the middle of the game, and they would cut into a, a highlight of a different game. Right. So I'm going to tell you the quote before I tell you who it's about. <laughs> he may not be a Heisman candidate this year, but maybe there's one in his future. Tim Brando said that about a freshman, Kevin Hogan. Yes, the Stanford quarterback, who I think we can say didn't come anywhere close to winning a Heisman trophy. First just, off, Stanford just a doesn't little. have freshman quarterbacks ever. They always have a fifth-year senior quarterback. We've talked about this. But, but he was the rare case. So that's why he was so special. I, so, and I'm glad you brought this up because one of my favorite parts about like watch, like rewatching these games and like you know, and, and even back in the day on those like VHS tapes I told you about, is it's cool to kind of look back in time and see what was going on. Like they were showing like one of the highlights was between Rutgers and and uh, and Louisville. And Louisville, Louisville. Yeah. was like Louisville's going to be back in the Orange Bowl and they're going to be facing their future <laughs> ACC brother. And I was like, wait, what is happening right now? And like Rutgers was like nine and three or something like that. Um, yeah, Brando is—he's something else. I, I'll say my my coldest take was, and this this ended up being huge. Um, when Bama scored to make it twenty-one to sixteen in the third quarter, and they they go for two, uh, and I, I was screaming this, like screaming this at the TV. Uh, Gary Dennison said, "It's awful awful early to be chasing a point, in my opinion. Pull within four. If you pull within four, if UGA kicks a field goal, you're only down seven points." 
So instead of going for two, just kick the field goal because you're only down four. That way, when you stop UGA, which we hadn't been able to do in the second half, you'd only be down seven points. And I, I agree with them. And then we later found out that Saban's just a genius, and it was absolutely, I mean, like, huge thrill, in that game. absolutely brilliant. Because when you think about it, like, they won by four. That whole last drive doesn't even happen if we're up by three. Because wasn't we're up by Yeldon, two. yeah, Yeldon had, they, they just ran the ball with Yeldon, too. On well, the yeah, we'll, version, go, we'll go back into it. Like, that, that drive, I think, was the most important drive of the game. Um, I think we're going to talk about it here in a little while. But, yeah, they, they had, that drive was four plays, 62 yards. All four plays went to Yeldon for 62 yards rushing, and he got the two-point conversion. It was just okay. You're not going to be able to stop us. This is how good we're feeling. And right. that's, that's well, they were down 21-10. The they, that's yeah. That's when they decided apparently to start. Like they ran the first play of that drive. I remember, and I thought this was the turning point of the game. You go down 21-10. Alec Ogletree runs that 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 block kickback. Kickback. Yeah. And and we've talked about this. That game seemingly took forever. And I felt like in the third quarter, even rewatching it, like no time came off the clock. Like every time I looked up, I was like, "How are there still 13 minutes? Yeah, how is there 12 yeah. minutes?" And then all of a sudden. You know, I feel like this is the point. Bam's going to probably come back, and and they block that field goal, and Alec Ogletree's running it like I felt like he was running it right into my heart. Like he's just coming right at you because <laughs> it's right up the gut between the halves. Yeah, there. and he's yeah. just like coming, <clears throat> coming like right at the screen. You're like, oh my god! It was one of the most defeating feelings I've had as a Bama fan, like a reality check that's like might not play out well. And then you look up, it's like, oh, all of a sudden there's six minutes left. Like where the hell did the last five minutes go? Because I know he didn't. It didn't take that long to run it in. Um, but after that drive is when they decided to like, you know, really commit to the run game and DJ Fluker's like stamping his feet, stomping his feet back to the huddle, uh, after the first, first play of the drive, like run behind me, run behind me. And they did. And the rest Follow of- me to freedom. <laughs> I don't think he said that, but like, also he had huge feet. I imagine how tough it would have been to be stomping like that size 19 feet. Don't get under those feet. No. Uh, yeah, but I thought that was, the, that was the coldest take. And then also Gary saying 15 seconds, they're going to get two throws to the end zone here. Oh, that sucks, man. man. You know, and it's it's a shame because that that last drive with with Murray, where spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, with with the tip pass where his guy catches it, and in the moment you're just kind of just like, okay, yeah, he's gonna have he's gonna have a chance, and then quickly, even the Bama players realize right away, time is clicking is is ticking away, six seconds left, and they don't have any timeouts. He's in balance, yeah. and you realize right as soon as he goes down, it's over, and they're not going to get those two plays, and it's just going to be the one play where it's a tip pass, and the guy who wasn't even the intended receiver ends up catching it. Well, and and like, there's a lot that was actually behind the scenes with that play, like a story of like how that whole thing unfolded, and like Geno Smith was a true freshman, was supposed to blitz off the corner. That's the the call that Kirby Smart made. C.J. Mosley gets the line, sees it. He has no idea what's going on. Geno Smith is, does not know that he's supposed to be blitzing, like didn't get the play call right. So C.J. Mosley blitzes, like, you know, audibles himself. He's the one that gets his hand up. And, and man, poor Chris Conley. Like, that, that like, there he gets so much flack for people. Like, why did he just drop the ball? Because, yeah, and I, I, I watched that, like, four different times where he didn't, you, you don't realize in that moment. And he he's actually, trained like, his whole life to catch a ball. And he actually makes this really like it, it. It almost even was like he didn't even process the adjustment that he made because he had his hands up because it's supposed right. to be. It looks like it's supposed to probably be a back shoulder throw. I can't remember the, the receiver. They would have right caught behind it. Him. He probably would have had a good chance. It would have been a tight window, but it looks like a pretty good throw just from the angle that we saw. And so when it gets tipped and his hands are up, and he just kind of naturally brings his arms down because there's a ball coming, and right. he doesn't realize that he's got a he's got a defender like that's still probably about a yard away from him, maybe a couple feet. I don't know what it was. Gino Smith. 
but you always think that you're going to be able to turn the corner and get to the end zone. So in that moment, I give him absolutely no fault whatsoever for no. catching that. You could everybody in hindsight could look at that and say, "Oh, you obviously, obviously yeah, if he could do it over again, he dropped so the dumb, ball." Yeah. But still, like, like I, I don't give him any. That that was just a bad situation, awkward yeah. situation. That I mean, it's a 21 year old kid. Like, what do you expect? Right. And so like the the whole aftermath of that, like I was telling you off air, is like C.J. Mosley comes in and you have this very awkward celebration, like. It's like almost like they just like ridden a roller coaster and like oh, like screaming the whole time like oh is it done is it done like and then they can celebrate mm-hmm. and you have this like very awkward few seconds and this like <clears throat> moment of like elation everyone's celebrating and you see Geno Smith awkwardly put his hands up over Conley and is like starts like jogging towards center to celebrate and and CJ Mosley pulls him aside and is just berating him like in the celebration. And he's like, don't you ever, blah, 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 like, just, like, cussing him out. And, like, I remember him saying, like, I'm not going to have some freshman that doesn't know what he's doing cost me a national championship. And it was, it was like, one of the oh. most surreal but also sabonized moments, I feel like, for Bama. Because it was like, yep. you're in the middle of this incredible game, and you still have a, your, your Mike linebacker, your alpha, <laughs> screaming that somebody, like, the instructions were wrong. This category, we call it the Jadavion Clowney reminder that normal human beings don't play this sport. There were a few. There were a few in yeah. this game. Um, the one that that immediately jumped out to me was first in the first quarter. Amari catches this quick hitch. Oh yeah. They throw this like it's just at the line of scrimmage, and it's they recognize they got one on one coverage with him, and it's it's like Jerry Judy before Jerry Judy did it, where he just absolutely breaks ankles and he he puts his foot in the ground and makes this cut that you're just like okay. There's, I don't know how I'd be able to tackle that in a phone booth. I don't think I could. And they ran the exact same play on the next time, and he only ended up getting like like a yard or two out of it or whatever. But that that was so to me like that was the first moment where you're like, all right, this guy is he's on a different level than anybody any other yeah. receiver that that's in this game. And then the play that really jumps out to me when he jumped off one yeah. foot and soared over Bakari Rambo on that bomb that McCarron threw. Basically, it was like the only impressive? good play that McCarron had. I can't jump off two feet, so I don't really get the jumping the off one foot thing was just how much he exploded in yeah. that moment. And Rambo looked like he had great position Should on that play to, to potentially make that pick. And Cooper's just like, no, I'm I'm more athletic than you are in this yeah. moment. I'm just going to take it because this this is mine now. Yeah, I mean he he's. Like obviously that that whole hitch play, it's amazing to me looking back. Like I don't understand how we had an offense that was like a passing offense at all, because he didn't have a lot of help around him. No, and, he really didn't. And like you know, I said I didn't say he wasn't like the breakout player or anything, because he almost had a thousand yards that year and put up some big games. But I mean, like, yeah, he was the, he was the only option for AJ, just the only option. And and I think when you look at you talk about like the freak athlete, that last play where he beats. Damian Swan off the line. And Damian Swan was a, a very high, highly rated recruit that was down to Bama in Georgia. And and then just like decelerates during the route. Because the the I think adjustment that he makes him. on the ball was unbelievable. And you could tell he didn't give any thought to it. It's just like his body, just just natural instincts. I'm better, I'm a better athlete than you. And but the other one is Gurley. Man. Yeah, Gurley this was, Gurley was freakish. And, and like you you watch him and it looks almost identical to what he's you have seen him do, no matter how old he is, no matter what stage he's on. And I just kept thinking, I was like, he's a freshman. He's a freshman. And, like, again, that you have that whole mindset of that Bama defense that doesn't give up any of these, you know, huge rushing yards, and he's just just absolutely gashing them. The DeAndre Swift comparisons to Gurley, I don't know if they're – I think Gurley, like, looking back, Gurley might be a little bit more versatile, the way that he just handled contact. Yeah. 
even at that point of his career, and that's, you know, we love DeAndre Swift. Like, I think he's one of the best running backs in the country right now coming back. And maybe, maybe you could probably make the case that Swift was a bit more, bit more devastating, I think. Like, could just leave somebody in the dust in a way that... Yeah, or yeah, yeah. That Swift, that Swift was a little bit more devastating than Gurley, and like he would do these things, like we talked the about one Cooper. Cut. Yeah, just one cut and go. Where Gurley was just like more, a little bit more tactical, and he could, <laughs> could kind of run through you. But yeah, it could do, it could do, or run by you. But it just the, the all-around ability that you saw from him as yeah. a true freshman watching this game, you're like, oh my gosh, like how good is this guy gonna be? He wasn't even the most highly ranked recruit or running back recruit on that team. It's unbelievable. It's, it it's not ridiculous. even fair. Yeah, I think that Sony and Chubb played in the same yeah the same team. I yeah, mean, it's just and Marshall ran like what like a four two nine or something crazy like there's, there's, they're they're definitely running back you. The speaking of that, the Trent Richardson. I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. So you got mad when I put this guy on there, and I'll explain this in a way yeah. that that makes a little bit more sense. So Bakari Rambo, who didn't have the best day, did not have the best day, um, was you know the Georgia safety who was a captain on this team. Early in this game, I'm watching it. I'm like, Rambo. this dude is unreal. This 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 guy who comes in and makes this pass breakup on Cy Jones, where he basically puts his head on the ball. Like that was on his NFL draft film, no yeah. doubt in my mind whatsoever. And he was coming off this Defensive Player of the Week award. Um, <laughs> it's Georgia Tech. Yeah, where like he was, he was, you know, he's really good. And he had this, these, you know, these great moments for this for this team. But you know, you kind of saw a little bit as the game wore on, and you texted me later on. You're like, I can't believe that you put him in this category because you saw what he looked like against NFL talent. And sure enough, he's a six round pick, and you he only lasted, you know, he was only active until 2016. So he only had you know a brief cup of coffee. He was actually a starter early on in his NFL career, but then he was benched two games in, and it was a performance issue where. You know, he would have these moments, and maybe he was just one of those guys where he, he'd have flashes, but the lows were too low, and you saw a few of them in this game. So I thought he was the biggest liability on the field. Hands down, he was terrible. And I, and I, I got so mad, again, because of the whole bravado thing with him and Sean Williams, and maybe part of his last name was Rambo. You know what I mean? Like I, it's, gosh, it's so good. If somebody it's was just so named like The Rock and was my safety, I'd be like, yeah, you better be the best player ever. And Bakari's a great first name, yeah, too. Yeah, like, it if is. If he was just Mike Rambo, I don't know if that's as good, but Bakari Rambo is like, man, that's, too, that's, that's Mike Mark Rambo. Mike yeah, Rambo's really good. good. That guy lives Dang, in Arkansas for sure. You could put anything with, with Rambo, and it's going to sound good. Yeah. Uh, Cornelius Rambo. <laughs> um, no, but he, there was like, I, I thought you were basing it off of like this game. Because we talked about, you know, like the Trent... Um, like, I remember watching the game against South Carolina. I was like, man, he was so good. How did he not? I know he didn't have a huge impact, but it's like, you know, how did he not make it the NFL? Rambo was a, was a pretty a good career player, but in this game, it wasn't just like in coverage or he did this wrong. It was the one-on-one moments with, with the running backs where yep. he just absolutely refused to bring his arms to tackle at any point. And it seemed like there was a couple of Georgia safeties that would do that with like Sean Jones and stuff like that. And then he, he was like the next in line. And, and Gary Danielson says in the third quarter after Lacey has this big 32-yard run, he says Rambo almost turns it down. Like, just did refuse to tackle him. It was weird. It was weird because he got him on, like, the second efforts on that play. But Yeah, barely. It was like, it's like he just yeah. edged him out of he bounds. He just pushed him out of bounds. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, um, him, yeah, for sure. The other guy, Jarvis Jones. And this oh, one, man. he's tough to put on here because he retired, you know, medical reasons all that but you know when he's drafted by the Steelers in 2013 he's a first round pick and you're thinking all right this guy's going to be in the NFL so for good. the next next decade and he's going to be the next great Steeler linebacker um 
I kind of forgot the way that his career started, where he mm-hmm. had that. He started at USC. Well, he's and from then Georgia. Would, yeah, he was from Georgia and then, you know, transferred back home after he couldn't get medically cleared to play at USC and had those issues early on. And he wasn't playing as a, very much as a, as a true freshman, but then has this renaissance where Dude. he came on so strong as an upperclassman at Georgia. And he leaves, you know, you said even before, like he entered the year as like one of the least touted players on that defense. And by the time this game came around, it was like Jarvis Jones, top of the scouting report. You yeah. need to watch this guy. And we saw what he did against McCarron early on, where he forces the fumble, and you're just like, He's everywhere. How, like, how is Bama going to stop this guy? The only way they could was just put two tight ends on him, apparently, and just like, <laughs> run right yeah. at him. Because, because, I mean, to be fair, he was nullified in this game because we, did, we couldn't pass the ball. Like, we had six it, passes. And they the ran right half. at him. You're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, and that's not what he was built for. He was, I, it's, it's crazy looking back, like, how incredible of a single season he had that, that year. And in, in so many big moments in, in games. He had 19 and a half tackles for loss in the regular season. And he had Did he have like 13 sacks? sacks? Yeah, it's crazy. He had like, this game good. against Florida was one of the most dominant performances by like, oh man, it was incredible. Um, you had two others here from, from Bama. That, yeah. it, it's, it's tough, but I, you know, I, I kind of see where you're going. We already hit on, on Lacey, but Milner is the one that, yeah, I mean. <laughs> this was the I, peak Bama bus season. Yeah, <laughs> like, it kind of was. Well, I mean, and Milner was like a, he was a five-star recruit. That was like one of the, he's a number one or two cornerback in the country and was like, you know, a, had all, all the physical tools you would think. And, and like in the national championship game, he just put him on an island with uh, Tyler Eifert because that was Notre Dame's best receiver and he shut him down. He was an All American, unanimous All American. I, w- I would terrible. hope you were able to cover a tight end. I mean, I would hope. But I'm saying like, like he, and he, he was their only offensive threat and, and he was like 6'5 and like Milner shut him down. I mean, he shut everyone yeah. down that year. Like he had like 19 pass breakups. Unanimous All American was just ooh, quick. Can you think about? Late. Can you think about how the play, the bobbled pass at the end that it looked like Dang he it. picked off that that everybody you know Bama sideline is celebrating that last play where it looks like Milner has this unbelievable interception that's going to end the game and they 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 review it and overturn it and actually call it an incomplete pass. Like if Georgia had gone on to win that game and how many people would look back on that moment from Milner's career and just think, oh man, what could have been? Right right then and there Dude, that play that, had just gone his way. I I've never celebrated so hard and been so let down shortly afterwards. I was like, gonna ask you about that because I assumed you went, you're going crazy. Oh my god. Because I just wanted it to end. I just wanted it to be over. I was so tired of this. There's so many times I thought we'd we like had gonna put the game away and then we just couldn't. And it, the, the emotional swings. It felt like this game was like directed by Tom Rinaldi. Like it's just like you know, like, it really and, was. And guess what happens? Like stop. I just want to go to bed. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, that's not as good as the as as Jarvis Jones, obviously. But yeah, I, if I had to pick another guy, it'd be him, I guess. This game, heads up, if you are rewatching this, I rewatched this game the full the the full game on YouTube that has the commercials cut out, and it was still over three hours. Dude, <laughs> that's crazy long. I got excited to, to watch the last night with Allie because she said she wanted to watch it. I don't know if she was lying. So we sat there, and I had my notes out, and we started the second half at 8 o'clock, and she missed the last five minutes of the fourth quarter because it was, it was still going on. If you're a Georgia fan, this is like rewatching the Titanic. Basically. But just the hour-long murder scene, or death scene. Too Not soon. murder scene. Way too soon. Okay, you knew we were going to get to this. This might be our most heated discussion. Um, we'll see. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching this game. Okay. I'll start. It was 10 (sighs) 7 in the first half. I I forgot about that. And then UGA penalties. Oh, just how bad it was. Yeah. Yeah. The first half was like, was miserable. And and the UGA penalties under Mark Richt. um, I forgot that that Bama had a chance to 
prevent that final drive from even happening. I forgot that like there was a, a drive in between after the uh, the bomb to Amari Cooper. They stopped Georgia. And it was like third and eighteen. They get off the field, get the ball back because they had the sack on first down, and right. it was like you're it's fourth and eighteen on the you know their own like inside their own right. fifteen or whatever it was. You can't go for it here. Yeah, that was a I, that could have been the dagger. But then you know credit Georgia because they went down and they they stopped Bama on the next possession right. to be able to get the ball back and even have a last ditch effort. Um, here you okay. go. How did the Quinton dial hit on Aaron Murray not get flagged? So, okay, a couple of things to keep in mind. Because I feel like in the heat of the moment, there were a few things that were forgotten about this. And the thing that Bama fans and whoever wrote Quinton Dial's Wikipedia page oh, man. brought up, which if you haven't seen Quinton Dial's Wikipedia page, go look it up and go look up the recounting of this play that has become so iconic. If you Google Aaron Murray GIF, this is the first thing that comes about up. It still. So, what happens is Aaron Murray throws this interception. And as you know, he's kind of gliding to the ball carrier and he's kind of following the play loosely, as quarterbacks often do in this spot. I'm pretending to run to make this tackle. Like and just... quit. Yeah, basically. And he's like not necessarily like near the play. It's not like he's making an actual attempt on the play. That's not necessarily even the problem. Quentin Dial comes in out of nowhere and just delivers the blind side of all blind side hits on Murray. And Murray just drops to the ground. The best thing about this, too, was that they had the perfect camera angle on Murray this entire time, so you could see the hit in slow motion. And that's what made this bad. It wasn't that Murray was... Murray should have had his head on a swivel, no doubt about it. The fact that he... You know, there's a lesson to be learned about that. I've been in that exact situation, actually, back in the day in high school special teams where I got absolutely clocked by somebody because I was just floating through a play. Was it Quentin Dial? It was Quentin Dial. He was there. It was weird. Similar in age. Um, the problem, though, is that it was a helmet-to-helmet hit. And he got him straight in the jaw. And yeah. before that, it was I think it was two possessions earlier, McCarron called for a late hit. And he basically begged. He begged for the ref to call this late hit on Georgia. And he got his way on that on a key play in the red zone. And Georgia fans are watching this going, how could they call the hit on Murray? Or call the hit, the hit on McCarron? that extended that drive, and then not call this play where they just flat out missed it. And they showed the replay a billion times. And, yeah. you know, there might have been an official who was blocked from the line of sight. That, but that, the problem, that is what happened. That is Steve exactly was what blocking. happened. Spitzer, someone brought it up at the halftime show when Tim Brando the, brought up this. How this would have been different now is they would have been able to look, take one look on replay. But what's the, what's the, the change in, in events? So it, it's, it would be called a targeting penalty. And right, you, would so have, you would be able to review it, and you would be able to eject him from the game because it was a helmet-to-helmet hit. Right. That's, I, I get all that, but I'm saying, like, Bama still keeps the ball. They might actually right. both in the first half. Exactly. Yeah. I just... I, so... Go ahead. Yeah, so just just to, to put a bow on it, from, from my perspective, like, that was the thing looking back that they couldn't even review it to be able to get... Because if, if they had just given the 15-yard penalty, yes, Bama still has the interception, Bama still keeps possession. Right. But that would have made Georgia fans feel a little bit better instead of... You know, looking back on this game, and they're like, oh, we didn't get this call here, we didn't get this call there. And that's the big one that stands out where you're like, how could you not make this big of a call when it's yeah. a quarterback who gets decked like that? Well, and I think the, the the protecting the quarterbacks started to come a lot, like not a lot later, but like in the years after. Yeah. And and this was, this was a penalty. I'll say it was a penalty. But when ban- like Georgia fans a lot of times have a tendency to hold on to one thing to blame for whether they won or lost. This was not the difference in the game. You're right. That, that's and so like like why I got mad at you is because and we'll get it later. But it's like the one image that will 
people always remember from this. This was in the second quarter, and I'm not saying he didn't weigh in, like, you know, impact the outcome, but it's like, tell me a defensive lineman, like, in that situation, it's probably not going to have a helmet-to-helmet hit on the quarterback. But I'm saying, not really. They probably wouldn't have done it. shouldn't have done that, I guess. But Quentin Dow's a good guy. Tell us your Quentin Dow story. You got to go. See, this is why I get so bothered by it because, like, he got so, like, like vilified by Georgia fans about this cheap shot artist and all those other things. His, his Wikipedia page is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. Please go read it. I would, if you do it right now. Pause this podcast and go look at yeah. Quentin Wikipedia page. It's great. Um, we got some sirens coming in hot. Uh, so I, I was on his, I was with him on his official visit to, uh, to Bama. So 2008, I had a friend that was a Bama Bell. She got me and my dad tickets, or, like, I guess passes as a recruit, in quotes, to the Iron Bowl. So I got to go, like, on the field pregame and, like, go, like, with all the recruits, sit in the stands, like, like meet Saban. And it was, like, Trent Richardson, DJ Fluger, Drake Kirkpatrick, all those guys. And Quentin Dial was, was in our group. And so Quentin Dial, he lost his dad when he was little or, or didn't have a relationship with him growing up. Him and my dad were just boys. They hit it off. We're hanging out the whole day. Super nice guy. I think they were, like, friends on Facebook. Like, he, he was... so weird. He was a really... Yeah, it really was. He was a really good guy. Um... I, whatever. I just don't think this play was that big of a deal. It was. It was bad because we had all the the we had that that image of it where you could just see yeah. Mur, like Murray's eyes creep at the last second, and I'm, I can't believe that if we had had more time with him at SEC Media Days last year, we would have asked him specifically about. The, I think we asked him off air. Well, that's how I got the interview with him. Is he was like just walking down the street. I just came out of nowhere and just blindsided. I was like, <laughs> "You're gonna do this interview." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean that 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 hit has just become such a, a, a such a lasting image. It from was a that bad game. no call. I'll say it. It was it was a bad no call. We can admit that in hindsight, but it was not where the game was decided. The other thing that I forgot about this game was just how bad McCarron was early on. I mean, like had the fumble in Jarvis Jones where he like oh. double clutched, and you're just like, dude, you got to be able to get rid of the ball in in that spot. He he throws the the interception that, in the end zone to Sanders play. Cummings. Bad, bad throw, and he blamed Mark Cooper for it. But it's yeah. like I, they, you weren't on the same page. But it was it was a bad throw to begin with. I don't even know even if Amari makes a good adjustment on that ball where he thought it was gonna, you know, McCarron thought it was gonna be a back shoulder thing. It looked like Cooper he's bailed AJ out so many times, not only in this exactly. game but this season. It, like I, I rewatching this game, I totally understand why people hated AJ McCarron if you weren't a Bama fan. A little bit, a little bit. So you know, he just looked jumpy throughout it, and you know. Bama didn't even score until that long Lacey run with two minutes left in the in the second quarter. And the first three quarters of that game, really probably the first three and a half quarters of that game, it's Lacey and Yeldon. Like, it's A.J. McCarron, for as offense. highly touted as he was, it, he was nowhere to be found. And I get it, because why, why would you want to do that when you basically have one go-to receiver and you need single coverage on him to make anything happen? Yeah, and I don't know, understand why Georgia ever went into single coverage mode against Amari Cooper. Because, Should not Because it's, like, looking back on it now, it's like, I remember thinking I was like, we have a really good receiving core. We just had pawns out there just pretending to to like run out for routes. It was like, <laughs> hey, either dump the ball off to a running back or just get it to Amari Cooper. Uh, yeah, I, I, he did. He started out really bad in the second half. I think again, like he wasn't a senior at this point. He was twenty six and two as a starter. You said twenty six and two. Yeah. Okay, so and he'd won a national championship and played really well against LSU, but like, I. Yeah, he he. I, that's the guy. That should have been the guy to lead you and like and be the calm presence in the huddle. And he's like, just. I mean, I've never that happy feet he had. Man, he was freaking out. He was. Yeah, that Georgia defense had him flustered early the, on. You look. You look back. There was one play where like he he had. It was like a three man rush or something like that. 
And yeah. it looks like it looked like the right side of it was was kind of like wide open. I'm surprised they didn't even call like intentional grounding on this play. But he just he was in the pocket and he had nobody on his backside at all. But he just like felt the pressure and he throws this ball up in the air. It looks like it was a 500 ball that he throws out of bounds. Like I said, don't know how it was an intentional grounding, but it was like. Yeah, in hindsight, we, we have all the angles we can see this. But if he had, like, turned around, he had, like, 15 yards of free space that he could have run with. And it wasn't until later on in the game where he started to be like, oh, I can actually, like, run up the middle and the defense is not necessarily preparing for me to run. Right. And I'm not going to get demolished if I hold on to the ball for more than two seconds. He, he played that entire game like like if you were walking outside, like, late at night and you're like, oh, my God, is that a snake? Yep. No, yep. you idiot's a garden hose. Like, that's that's how he played most of that game. It, it was, but the two throws were just so Yeah, well, but like, if you look the the drive before that, the reason, uh, like, on that third down play, he dropped back and, like, immediately, immediately gives up on the play and tries to, like, run and gets, like, sacked. And then the only reason it was third and five on that Yeldon play that before the Amari Cooper touchdown is because he had yet another bad pass to the tight end. And then blame the tight end for it. Yeah, McCarron did that kind of a lot, kind of a lot. Cool-ass tattoos, um, though. <laughs> cool sushi restaurant too. Um, when did the losing team blow it? So when did when did Georgia? When was the moment that you realized? And you know, the easy thing to do is just to yeah. point to the last play. And there's a there's a, obviously a case to be made for that. Watching this back, if I had not known the final result, I would have been ready for the storyline of yeah. Aaron Murray finally having this this big moment. But there are a couple different instances I think that you could point to, and I think we we yeah we had the exact same one. So when Georgia is up, actually, they're up three with I six minutes left. I can't believe you got this. I, can, I cannot believe you, you also saw this. this is, it, I've never been more proud of you. Georgia's up three with six minutes left, and it looks like Georgia's going to have this, this drive, wind down the clock. Bama's going to get maybe one more chance to get the lead. It's third and one with Todd Gurley in your backfield. And Jesse one. Williams absolutely stuffs him. And Jesse Williams was the same guy who went down earlier so, with, I think it was the ankle or the knee injury. So this is, and this is, like, peeling back a little bit, this is, I thought, the biggest impact player of the game, I thought, was was potentially Jesse Williams. The reason why is because the defensive line wasn't great, like, from Bama. <clears throat> and they had, he was an All-American, and this guy was, like, a legend at Bama, you know, All-American, benched 600 pounds, like, all this stuff. But, again, when you talk about, like, the whole bravado and, and, like, we're tough and, like, you know, can't be soft, Jesse Williams goes off the field, it can't can't walk on his own power, is carried off the field, uh, it's something with his knee, he's got, his, like, a towel over his head. It's, like, the start of the third quarter, and it ended up having surgery immediately after the season. Oh, you could tell he was still hurting. Yeah, he, I mean, it was it was something, I don't remember, I don't think it was an ACL, I don't think it was, like, an MCL or something like that, but it was a, it was a serious injury. He comes back into the game in the fourth quarter for this play. He had three tackles, including this play, and also to be lead blocker on the touchdown pass to start the fourth quarter. Right. Yeah. Just an unbelievable display of toughness in that yeah. moment. I thought, you know, because if, if Gurley picks up the first down there, it's over. Georgia's, Georgia's got a three-point lead. They could wind down at least another probably – you at least force Bama to use all their timeouts, and maybe you, you take another two, three minutes off the clock easily, and you're in favorable – you're probably going to be in somewhat favorable field position. You can't run the football. maybe get a field goal. If you run the clock down – Exactly. It, so you're – I mean, like, this the, – the way this game played out in the third quarter especially, and I, I brought up the DJ Fluker thing – where it was like this moment of like, run behind me, like, let, like let's go, let's go. And, and even Danielson brought it up, he's like, he's very emotional right now. We all are, Gary, we all are. <laughs> um, but like, they, they go on this stretch where they, they don't attempt, I think they had three passes they attempted, or I'm sorry, uh, before the Amari Cooper throw, they'd only attempted two passes in like the last like 17 plays. 
And you have this this moment where they're they're like, Bama is finally coming back. They get ahead, and and you see these Bama teams before. That's when they put teams away, and Bama had no answer for Gurley at all. And and Aaron Murray's playing out of his mind, hitting Tavares King on like a huge forty-one yard bomb, like the next drive after Bama takes the lead. I've never seen a, a Bama team like that that comes from behind. Like you feel like, oh, good, the good guys won. No, Georgia kept coming right back and right back. And and yeah, I think if they get the first down there, this game is over. Tavares King had every time he made a big time catch, it looked like he was just going to die on the field. I felt yeah. bad. Like he, was, he took some shots, <laughs> he really man. Did, man. And I forgot how good Malcolm Mitchell was too. That that and Arthur Lynch, like Aaron Murray. It, it's not not enough is made about how incredible of a job he he did in this game. He didn't have an Amari Cooper to throw to, and his top two receivers were out with yeah. injuries in this game. That's the thing that that's another thing that I forgot watching rewatching this. And he just he didn't have that guy on the outside where you know he's not like he's throwing to an AJ Green or something like that. You know, somebody who could just go up and make a play for him. Right. Which I thought there were moments in this game, moments in the fourth quarter where he just needed that. He needed to be able to say, "Look, I can recognize at the line of scrimmage. I've got single coverage on the outside. I can throw it to any place that I want." Even like what we talked about before with Steven Garcia doing with Alshon, where he's like, "I'm just going to trust my guy to go make a play. I'll throw it 20 yards ahead, line of scrimmage. He's going to beat his guy. And right. It's going to be an easy first down." But he didn't have that. He, but he did everything in his power to win the game. And what's unfair about this is like we look at again with AJ, and, and I'm not just trying to discount AJ his career, but AJ had the benefit of playing with a defense that that team in 2011 gave up. Eight points a game. This team gave up like, like 11. Aaron Murray's having to go out here and constantly battle back because you have a 21 to 10 lead halfway through the third quarter, and Grantham, for whatever reason, cannot figure out how to stop the run off right tackle. They're just running right at Jarvis Jones. But, yeah. but I mean, like, he had no help on the defensive side of the ball in this game. Yeah, they were, they were gassed, too, by, by the end. The only thing that Adrian McCarron could have asked for, the only thing better in terms More of penalties. the support system... I was gonna say like a kicking game, but you oh know. my god, Kate Foster! Yeah. It's not a it's not watch. a it's not a classic Bama game unless you have a few kicking miscues. Um, yeah, I will never forget course. that kid being a three star kicker recruit, Kate Foster. He hit like a fifty seven yarder in high school, and and he also had three scholarship offers as a linebacker. And my dad was like blown away by that. And he was like, you know what that means? Saban always thinking ahead, man. Extra tackler on the field on kickoffs. No, you know what that oh, means? Gosh. He's just not a good kicker. He's, like, <laughs> he's, not, he's a big, bulky, strong kicker, but he's not a good kicker. Oh, gosh. All right, here's the question that Georgia fans have asked many, many, many times. I'm sure they have. What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? So this, isn't, Georgia, this isn't even Murray, hypothetical. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, let's, let's say that Murray does have that that last second touchdown drive. Georgia wins this game. Margaret gets carried off the field. Georgia's going to a national championship. First time playing in a national championship since 1982, 1983 rather, the final year well, of Herschel. 82, like January 1st, 83. Right, right. So the final year of Herschel would have been the last time that they had been there. There's no doubt in my mind that Georgia ends the title drought. They destroy Notre yeah. Dame in the championship. Knowing what we know now about the weaknesses that I wonder Notre how many other team teams had, would have. It's it's an interesting question because obviously they won all those games like really close. Like would Florida have won against Notre Dame? Probably. I mean, they're not to take anything away from an eleven and zero start because it's still really hard to no, do. No, definitely takes away from that. <laughs> but I think you look. That's the most frustrating thing. And if you were a Georgia fan watching that national championship, you're just watching what the thing that slipped away and it, and how frustrating that is much like yeah. you know it's almost like the you know the James Harden Rockets teams that that lost you know in game 7 to the Warriors last year Yeah but year this one actually matters. 
Yeah, this, this one's a little bit more significant. I don't think the city of Houston's like starved. For, well, I mean, I guess they literally aren't because they've they've had the titles before. This is for Georgia fans, man. They're such a passionate fan base, and it's it's so easy to look back on stuff and be like, well, if this would have happened, like I do it all the time in 2013. Like, well, if the kick six didn't happen, Bama would have won the national championship. I don't know that because then they would have still had to beat a really good Florida State team. Like, but it's easy to say these hypotheticals. Like, if this one play didn't happen, we would have won the national championship. Where Bama? Set- Go ahead. I'll set the over/under at Gurley rushing yards in the national championship. Oh my for god, two fifty. Well, and I've told you this before. You remember, like the the pregame meeting or the pre uh, national championship meeting with it was Nussmeier, the OC, and Kirby Smart, the DC, and, yep. and Nussmeier walks in, and he's like, him and Saban didn't really get along, and, and he kind of had this arrogance. This is his first year as the OC, and he's like, "How many points do you need?" And he was like, "What?" And he's like, "How many points do you need?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "They have nothing for us on defense. Nothing." And, it, like, that was the exact quote. They have nothing for us. And they didn't. And, it, again, it's usually easy to sit here and be like, well, you know, this team should have been in it or, or this team would have won if this happened. Georgia, hands down, would have won the national championship. And, I, and to be honest, with the way that the end of that game was going and the way that I saw – I, I want to give Georgia so much credit because in this game, this is the first time I really, like, felt <clears throat> like the – you know, there's, like, a chink in the armor because Bama couldn't put this team away. Every single time they, they finally came back, Georgia came right back. Just came right back, right back. And I think if they spike the ball, they have those two thirds of the end zone. You have a player like Aaron Murray, who's kind the most efficient yeah. passer in the country, and they have just torched Bama's defense for most of the second or that drive. Man, I think they score and they probably win. That's yeah, that's the biggest regret of the final of the final drive is that Murray didn't spike it immediately. And in that moment, you know, he's, it's, and he's it's motioning tough. to do it. Yeah, and for whatever reason that that just wasn't the play. They, they wanted to get one off, and they thought, okay, we're still going to be able to get two plays off either way. Let's just go keep them on, the, you know, on their on I think Grant was the one that called it. <laughs> should we, should we clock it? No, blitz! Blitz! <laughs> Coach, we're literally on offense. We cannot blitz. Just do it, Aaron! <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought up Kirby because we probably not talked about him enough maybe in this. Um, Traitor. But the interesting question is, you know, what would have happened if the result was flipped? Man. Kirby, who helped beat Mark Richt, probably never replaces Mark Richt at Georgia. Because no. think about this. If Richt wins a national championship that year, you know, he, he got three years after this. And the narrative around Richt would have changed significantly. Huge. Can't way, win the big game to this. He got three more seasons after that. They started at number five in 2013, the following season, which is oh, pretty crazy considering what they lost the NFL draft. That was the highest ranking that they had for the rest of his time at Georgia. So yeah. they never got back into the, into the top five after that. And if you're, if you have that national championship, and if you end this long streak, and you're, you know, you're viewed in the same regard as like a Vince Dooley, except maybe even better because the the stuff probably around it, you know, and the way that Dooley kind of faded towards the end. You have built in this grace period where you, you can afford a couple dud seasons uh, because dude. you brought Georgia that title. And, and no offense, I'm not saying it's in a condescending way of Georgia fans, but a, a grace period? They had already given him a grace period. Imagine how long the grace period would have lasted if he won the national championship. And, and you can't, you have to really like emphasize like the way that season played out and the, the narrative that was already in place with Rick was, you know, he doesn't do the little things to win games. Like he was constantly, Georgia was, was towards the top as like the most penalized team in the SEC. And, and Rick just could never change it. He had all the offseason rest. There were so many negative associations with him as a coach, but he kind of just kept sliding by because can't win the big game, but he's a great guy. And look where the program is compared to where it was under Don and, and, and Ray Goff and all those kind of things. But, man, they, they 
had a, a, a very long leash with him for a long time. And, and if he would have beat Florida, a, a rival they have a, a lot of trouble with, who was a top-five team, then beat Alabama, who had just won two or three national championships, and then beats a team like Notre Dame, who was undefeated, and, and beats them the way Bama did, which they would have. Statue. It's Yeah. And, and you talk about, like, that narrative changes so quickly to him not being able to win the big game and all these negative things to this guy who's one of the best coaches and everyone already holds in high regard is also – like one of the elite college football coaches in the country. Is he up there with Saban? That's what the, the talk would have been. You brought up this uh, after the game, too, about how Richt was – we talked about this a little bit off air about – Oh, man. You can kind of tell he realized that this this was his opportunity and it slipped away and maybe a little bit more snippy than usual with the media. Well, and throughout the game, he was even way more emotional than I've, I've ever seen him during the game. And, and it was almost sad to – because I noticed it when I rewatched it last night. And it was almost sad to watch because it was like you did get the feeling that he knew – like, this is the best chance we have. We're so close. We're so close. And after the game, Chuck Long uh, from Atlanta's <laughs> King CFB on Twitter, he asked a question, uh, which was, there are some people, whether it's fans, media, or whomever, that will uh, maybe want to make further conclusions about you or your quarterback, specifically in big games. Would you have any response to those people? It's like the most vague, <laughs> long-winded sentence. And Rick just snaps back at him. Very uncharacteristically. I don't know what you're saying. Why don't you just straight, say it straight up to what you're trying to say? And then he, and I, <clears throat> to his credit, he did. He said, well, people say that you and Aaron Murray specifically come up short on the biggest stage against the biggest opponents. And that just that sucks to even read. I get it from both perspectives, too, about having to ask that question in that moment after you have all this, all this talent on that team and you come so close. And at the same time, I get why Rick would be frustrated because – that's a tough pill to swallow to, to realize that that team came up short in that moment when you you had it. I mean, you're you're in the red zone, you're right there, and a chance to have this big and iconic win. It was it was all there. And some frustrations probably too with this, like man, like what do I have to do to like get to this point? And, and like Bama, who again didn't play in the conference championship the year before, gets to the national championship and wins. And that 2017, everyone knew that Georgia was the best team in the country. Five years earlier, Bama's a dumpster fire, and, and, and here they are yeah. in, in shape to, to go on to their third national championship. But and then also that years. same year, that 2007 game, because I think that was a, a, a big part of like what could have been in his legacy. Not only were they a two-loss team, they didn't make it to their conference championship, so they didn't make it to the national championship. They watched a two-loss team from their conference win the national championship. It's tough. It's really tough. So the, the, question, the other question to ask is, how much and it's tough it's this is going to be really really tough to answer but how much different is the Alabama dynasty without getting to the national championship and ultimately beating Notre Dame because yes you still have two national championships in a four year stretch but at that point three out of four is just it's an unbelievable accomplishment that I, I don't know if we're going to see I mean technically we could see it if Clemson wins it all this year what the hell bro I, sorry okay I had I had to get you honest we've had a lot of positive Bama talk I had to kind of knock you back down to earth a little bit but how much different are we viewing Saban and and this run of dominance where that team just they, they define they define the decade in college football the decade of dominance that we talk about so much and the, the thing that's tough to answer is Saban, after he loses, yeah, that's, turns that's into thing. a different coach. God, you're so on point, man. Thank you. You're welcome. That, I mean, that's that's a tough thing to look at it because it's, you know, again, looking back on it, I foolishly thought that, like, 2012 team was one of those dominant teams ever because on paper you kind of thought they were supposed to be. They were not. They were not. Like, I mean, that offensive line, that running game was good. That defense was just so, so much worse than some of the other defense under Saban and Smart. 
But I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about like coming off a loss. He is a lot better, and they had a lot of talent coming back in 2013. But I don't know what happens. I don't. I don't know what happens in, uh, you know, the kick six. I don't know if that if that plays into like the next year at all because it's such a crazy fluke year the, the following season. But I will say that now you have the t- talk being like Saban lost in a national championship game. Mm-hmm. He won the national title despite winning his own conference the year before. Uh, he won his first national championship when Colt McCoy got injured. So there's That's interesting. easy yeah. ways to like really, you know, kind of water down his accomplishments. And then also you're talking about Georgia being four and one now in their last five games against Bama. True. And the only True. loss is that blackout game. And so it's, you know, yeah. And I wonder if the, if the power maybe shifts a little bit. It's, it's such a, a, just a fascinating crossroads game in the SEC. And, and it's, I think it's shaped things that have played out, you know, seven years from now that we're, we're still talking about this day, about how, how different those teams could have gone on, on just such different paths. I think Rick, I think there's a good chance that Rick is still at Georgia if he wins that I, game. I, without a as doubt. As crazy as it is. Without a um, doubt. But who knows, you know, Georgia, maybe if they win a national championship this year, this is the type of game that they could look back on and have a little bit of, little bit of an easier time accepting, knowing that, you know, in an indirect way, it probably led to, you know, Kirby going to Athens and, um, yeah, just such a wild ripple effect type hey. game. What's what's the play or the image that we're always going to remember when thinking about this? Oh man, um, for for me, it's hard not to. It for all right. Obviously, the last drive is pretty crazy, but for me, it will always be the first thing I think of is that third and five play with Yeldon because in that moment, you know, like to run off tackle on third and five. And to make contact with the one guy who was the loudest voice about this whole, you know, we're not soft and, and this tough bravado thing. That play is the one that sticks out for me. Um, but the Murray signaling to, to Rick to spike the ball. And then, and then Rick, not only saying afterwards, saying, we just ran out of time in the press conference. No, sh- blank. <laughs> yeah, I think he just didn't want to, you know, put blame on a specific player or something yeah. like that in that spot. And I think he trying to hold back his words a little bit. That awkward it's, celebration thing, though, that was, I'll never forget that. Yeah, I, I, I threw in here the, the Quentin Dial hit on Murray. <laughs> maybe the most, not necessarily the, the, the play that, like, defined that game, but just in terms of if you think about, if you, that, that's the most, like, the, the single image that I, that I remember most just because I've, you know, Aaron Murray is somebody that we've talked about a lot on the podcast and stuff yeah. like that. So just, like, kind of this this moment of of his career that was just so frustrating but the the mo- the image that i think will be most that that i'll take away most is just watching murray stunned at the end where he yeah we talk about rick realizing what do i have to do away. just how, how how can i get over the, this hump and i i thought i had finally done the things i needed to do you know people can criticize me all they want for the one and four mark in top 10 games but against this Bama defense, I came ready to play. And, you know, ultimately we came up short yet again in such a crushing way down the stretch where he probably, and everybody in that Georgia sideline probably thought, you know what, this is his time. This is when he's going to really cement his legacy, as Gary Danielson said. And just watching him where, you know, he takes his helmet off immediately and his mouth just drops open and then he pretty much sprints right into the tunnel. And I don't, never got an explanation kind of like what his thinking was at first when you show when you saw it on tv it actually looked like he was like running after the refs to ask him about this about something but he ran right past him so i don't think that was the case no but he was one of the more it was weird they he was he was like i don't want to say gracious losers not the best way to put that sounds condescending but he was like 
he seemed like he was, had such a good measured, calm like presence about him. Like he didn't get overly emotional like, in the moment. Um, this that was painful to rewatch that. Like and so like to be honest, like peeling back again, like as being around Georgia fans, this is going to be like it sounds sad, but I remember like when they were losing to teams like Florida nonstop and and they they like in the mid 2000s or whatever, and they couldn't get over that hump. And, and Florida obviously is one of these national championships. I remember working with a guy one time who was like, man, after that, that Florida game last night, I just went home and watched Aaron Murray highlights for like two and a half hours drinking, which is, that's sad. Don't ever do that, guys. But like, <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because people were so excited for him to come in. He was a five-star recruit. Like he was, he was a huge, huge get for them. And they also had Bettenberger in that class. But like, started as a freshman, put up just ridiculous. He, he was the guy. Like he was, again, Georgia fans have a, a tendency and, it, like not just UGA, but like the state in general, to hitch their wagon to one guy, and Aaron Murray was that guy for like two or three seasons. And when we asked, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's I mean that's it. So it's just it was one of those things where, you know, you had all of this hype for so long coming into like the season of, of like what he was able to do in high school, and, and then steps in right away and is and a good quarterback, and, great quarterback. Yeah, and it just to have the career he had and have it be kind of cheapened by not by saying like well he never won a championship he couldn't win the big one man he did a lot of things for that program he might have had the ultimate yeah but career and you know when we asked him i listened i actually last night i listened back to the interview that we did with him at sec media days and you asked him the question what's what's the greatest accomplishment of of your life of your career and he said just being a four-year starter at georgia and yeah you know the stuff that he did the numbers that he put up yes he loved georgia man and it's 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 just it's so interesting to think about what could have been had he gotten that one play. But he just got married enough. at at like the stadium a couple weeks ago. Not at the stadium, but that's where like all of his like their pre wedding pictures were taken. Ah, we need we need to revisit with him. Hopefully, we'll we'll reconnect with him uh, in Birmingham. But I think that's enough enough torture for Georgia fans for this day. Um, hopefully, everybody enjoyed this. Even Georgia fans yeah. could enjoy listening to this. This was a lot of fun. We're going to hopefully roll out the plan tentatively speaking is to roll out a few more of these maybe maybe like early august or so um it just kind of depends um but we're gonna next week we'll be back to doing our normal regular pods we potentially could have a special guest that is still in the works we're not going to say who it is yet this has been a long time coming to get this guest to come on but our our goal is to be able to to bring him on we've got a few logistics to work out but hopefully we'll bring you that so and guys let us know on like especially in the facebook group all those kind of things yes this is this is the first time that we've done this i we were We're very very excited to do it um i I hope you guys liked it and and it didn't come off as me just being like man i had the best time of my life in that game man it was crazy um because we really you held really, it together you held it together really well. i tried my best i, I, I honestly going back looking at it, i forgot how much like how much better georgia was that day for for a lot of the time um but anyway what games do you guys want us to discuss what games like are you know yes. not just classics but like the most rewatchable entertaining games that even if you're not a fan of one of the teams like what was yeah. the most enjoyable game you could watch we don't have to do the kick six um, it's it's got to be pre-playoff era, I think, and then you know just just because this was a you know there are a lot of games you could pick with with Bama that yeah. where Bama wins the title or something like that. Let's we we can yeah, branch I, out I of that zone. Bama. <laughs> like no, for real. Like I'd, like I'd rather like give a chance like for like you know fans from other teams and stuff like that. But if you guys have any suggestions or, or comments, concerns, I don't know, advice, hit us up in the Facebook group SCS Podcast. Uh, let us know what you think and and. And give us some feedback because we only do this for you guys. We do it all for you. We do it all for y'all. 
Uh, Coach O, can we get an it just meant more from you? Is that is that too much to ask? He should have spiked the damn ball. Way too soon. It just meant more. Talk to you guys next week.